The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. As we look at this again, Paul's again discussing this submissive mind as he's finishing up this paragraph in the text, and he gives this submissive mind in the example again of Jesus Christ in the first 11 verses. And he explains the dynamic of the submissive mind in his own experience in verses 12 through 18. And that's what we looked at. And so he shows his example. Now, again, he introduces uh, to us these two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, And I believe that by the Spirit of God, he does this again for a reason, right? For our learning. God wants to teach us something through the lives, these examples. How am I glad for these examples in the scriptures that God gives us? But then it points us to examples in real time in real-life examples. As I was looking at this, I was going in my mind and thankful in my mind for good friends that God has helped me with, God has uh, encouraged me with, God has sent into my life at times where I was in great need or even want, as he speaks uh, here in this uh, passage. And Timothy and Epaphroditus were examples of the kind of friends we need and the kind of friends we need to be. Are you with me? They were the examples of the kind of friends we need and the kind of friends we need to be. How many need good Christian friends in your life? We need that. But how many know there's a need for you to be a good friend to someone else? Sometimes we only focus on our need for friends, but we don't focus on our need to be friends. The Bible says that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. In other words, I'm not supposed to be as focused on having friends as I am focused on being a friend. You know, I'm not supposed to be focused on gathering friends as I am uh, supposed to be giving friendship. And uh, sometimes we focus on who is friends to us rather than who we are friend to. And God wants us to be friends. And I, I believe there's some things that we can glean from the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus in this passage that will help us to be the kind of friend that we should be to others and help us to find what is the example of true Christian friendship as we look for friends in our lives. I want to give you just three things about that tonight. Number one, I believe that uh, these were balanced friends. These were balanced friends. And I believe that we need to be balanced as believers. Balance is so important in our lives. Imbalance is something that happens naturally in our lives. But as I look for friends in the Lord, I need friends that are balanced. I need friends that are looking to a spiritual balance in their life, balancing theology, balancing uh, steward, stewardship in their life, balancing uh, God's call and service and being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ, a balance of these things. How many know that we tend to extremes in our lives? We tend towards extremes. Uh, we tend to overcompensate. How many know when you're trying to balance in life, if you overcompensate, you fall? And uh, that's what often happens. They say in injury, when people fall, often the injury comes in how they catch themselves not in the actual fall. In other words, they overcompensate because they feel themselves out of balance. And so they overcompensate, which causes them to be more injured. Uh, You can hurt yourself. I I remember um, we were uh, in our room, and this is when we were in Philadelphia, and our kids were young. We had bunk beds up for the girls, and Anna and Leah were up there, and Anna was in the top bunk. That was her bunk. And one night I was in the bed, and all of a sudden I heard, bam, just something above us. And I was like, good night, what was that? It sounded like something had fallen. And truly, as I went up to the third floor into their room, I found something had fallen. It was someone. It was Ada out of the top bunk. And she, in her sleep, had fallen. She had fell from the top bunk to the floor, 
but she was just laying there sleeping, and I was afraid maybe she's unconscious, you know, you know, maybe she really hurt herself, knocked herself out. And here she had fallen but not even woken up from that fall. She's just laying there, you know, uh, flat. I remember when we went to uh, the men's retreat. Brian, you fell out of the top bunk while we were at the men's retreat one time. And I remember all of a sudden I was just getting into bed, everybody sleeping, and I just settled things in and got in my bunk and on the concrete. Man, he just fell and he was in his sleeping bag with arms in and everything. So there was no putting the hands down. It was just rolled and bam, right on the floor there. And thankfully, he wasn't injured. I was just thinking, boy, we're going to have to go to the hospital from this and falling off the bunk. But isn't it amazing? Sometimes when we fall, when we overcompensate in our lives, we can actually add injury uh, to our lives. And that tends to be uh, what happens. It's easy for Christians to get out of balance. And this is uh, we're prone to focus, again, on one area of our Christian walk to the exclusion of others. How many have ever done that? You really want to be a good soul winner for the Lord, a witness for Jesus Christ, but you ignore study in the Word. You ignore personal devotion. You ignore your family. You ignore, I mean, I'm going to be a good uh, member in the church and active and involved, but then I neglect my family or neglect my marriage. And so sometimes we get out of balance. We think, boy, I'm doing good in this area, but how many know good in one area doesn't mean I'm doing good across the board? And sometimes we tend to get out of balance, and then we think because I'm doing really great in one area, that means all the other areas that I'm neglecting, that I'm ignoring. And sometimes we do that to compensate, don't we? Because I know there's an area of my life that I'm being disobedient, or I know there's an area of my life that I'm out of balance, and so I do more over here to distract me and others from this area of my life that really needs to change. And so sometimes we tend to do that. We go out of balance. Uh, everything's sometimes with some people, they get out of balance in the area of fellowship. Everything is about being with their group and having a good time. For others, evangelism. Everything revolves about bringing people to Jesus, but they ignore spiritual development and growth. For some, it's, it's legalism. They're so concerned with keeping things in line with their idea of how things ought to be that they set themselves up as spiritual detectives who investigate and correct the motives of everyone else. How many know that sometimes that's getting out of balance in our lives? You become someone who's the judger or the inspector to everyone else. As I uh, become more legalistic in my, my walk, my emphasis, I become more aware of others' faults and I point them out. There are many other areas of life where this is true, but when a Christian or a church, for that matter, gets out of balance, they bring reproach to the cause of Christ. And they're like a wobbly tire on a a car, aren't they? Uh, And they throw everything else out of balance. You ever drive a car that has a tire that's out of balance? Sometimes you don't notice it till you get up to a certain speed, but then all of a sudden the vibration sets in and you're wondering what it is. Isn't it amazing how something so small like throwing a little weight off of a tire can cause everything uh, to go out of balance. Boy, little, uh, little foxes spoil the vines, the Bible says. There's just little things in our lives, little details of our lives that throw things out of balance. Timothy and Epaphroditus weren't like this. They balanced their walk with the Lord and with others. I want you to look at these areas of their life that they were balanced in. Notice they're balanced in their walk as sons of God. Paul calls Timothy here, he, he says, my son. He calls Epaphroditus, my brother. He means members of the same family, those who are united in the bonds of affection. What Paul's saying, I love Timothy. I love Epaphroditus, and he loves me. We're brothers in Christ. We're walking together. We're not walking against one another. I know when we have proper balance, we can walk with others. 
even others that we don't see eye to eye with perfectly. I don't think that Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul did everything the same way. I don't think they had all the same preferences. I don't think they had all the same ideas. I don't think they had all the same gifts. Like Paul articulated to us, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, right? There's differing gifts. Hey, we're not all the eye. We're not all the ears. We're, not all, we're all different. We being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we understand that. These were differ, differing brothers. They were different in their appearance. They were different in their personality. They were different in their giftedness. Yet, they were all necessary. And they were balanced in their walk as brothers in Christ. Balanced in their walk as a son. I, I believe they were also balanced in their work as a servant. Balanced in their work as a servant. Notice Timothy in verse number 22. The Bible says here, Paul says, he served Epaphroditus, the Bible says, was a fellow worker or fellow laborer with Paul. In other words, he shouldered his portion of the load. He was not lazy. He he didn't let other people carry his parts. He, He got there and he went to work for the glory of the Lord. In verse number 25, the Bible tells us that Epaphroditus was a messenger, that he was a minister. He was sent by the church at Philippi with a a gift for Paul. Uh, But I think the greatest gift from Philippi was not the gift that Epaphroditus sent, but the gift of friendship that Epaphroditus gave to Paul. Because Paul doesn't mention or talk too much about the the gift that he gave. He just mentions the gift, but then he, he goes on and on and on about Epaphroditus. I know the gift of... Christian friendship is a wonderful gift from the Lord. Boy, that's something that we focus on, not so much that we want things from each other. It's nice to get something. It's nice to be encouraged by something. It's nice to receive a blessing. But more importantly, as we were talking about, even about Brother Paul this morning uh, and, and, and encouraging him, the Lord, you know, the most important thing I think that we can give is encouragement. Encouragement. Sometimes we say, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. Sometimes we have encouraging words, but we think because we have no gift to offer uh, one another. Sometimes we may not be able to give, but we can always uh, work as a servant. We can always be a blessing. We can always be a minister. We can always be a messenger. It doesn't take money to do those things. Epaphroditus was balanced. Notice in his work as a servant, the Bible says uh, it refers to here uh, the fellowship of the gospel. Many believers get out of balance. Uh, They love to be with the brethren, think that a little fellowship with their class or with their friends at church is all they need to be complete. But that's not really the fellowship that the Bible is talking about. It's a ministry, a desire to be together. Listen, it shouldn't just be that we want to see each other in services. It's that we just love and long to be together. We're family. God puts us together in that way, and that's uh, such an important thing. I know that we're all busy, but sometimes, again, we get balance, out of balance in our work, and then we don't serve in the Lord's work. He was balanced in his walk as a son. He was balanced in his work as a servant. And they were also, Timothy and Epaphroditus, I believe they were balanced in their warfare as a soldier. They were balanced in their warfare as a soldier. Notice that Paul calls them fellow soldiers. He's saying these are people who are helping me through the spiritual conflicts of the Christian life. How many know that we need to be fellow soldiers one to another? We're all in battles, aren't we? We're facing difficulties. We're facing trials. But can we get into, uh, uh, into the trenches with each other? You know, the best way that we can get into trenches with one another is through prayer. Isn't that the weapon of our warfare the Bible uh, talks about? Our weapons are not 
physical, but they're spiritual. To the Bible says, to the pulling down of strongholds. You think about the spiritual warfare that's going on around us and the spiritual warfare that's going on in each of our lives and how much we need to engage with one another in spiritual warfare. Boy, it's so important not that we just pray for each other. Sometimes we say, how many have said, I'm praying for you, but you never really prayed for them? How many say, I'll pray for you, but you never really did pray? Sometimes these are cliches. These are things that we say. Sometimes we think, I thought about someone, so I prayed for somebody. You know, I understand that sometimes we have people on our minds, but truly, truly, we need to be in the trenches with one another. Pray ye for one another. Pray for each other. Pray for uh, uh, God's will to be done in one another's lives. Balance in our warfare as a soldier. They were partners in a common struggle. There was spiritual battles. Hey, Paul is in prison, and yet he has friends that are coming to him and visiting him. I, I hope that we would have that same mind. Remember what Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. Remember the uh, disciples said, when did we do this? And Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. What an awesome testimony that when we serve people that perhaps can do nothing for us, even the least of what we would think of the brethren, the Bible says we've done it unto him. Boy, isn't that so, uh, such, a, such an awesome opportunity for us that we can serve one another? They were balanced in their walks as sons. They were balanced in their work as servants. They were balanced in their warfare as soldiers. Not only were they balanced friends, but I believe they were burdened friends. They were burdened friends. Notice the burden uh, that the Bible talks about here. Look at verse number 20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul said, boy, I need somebody who's going to be as burdened for you as I am. I need somebody who's willing to serve the church that has just as much burden and love for you that it's just a natural thing for them to care for them. And that's why we spoke of Timothy. He said, I had nobody but Timothy. Timothy has this natural care. I believe that God gives us a natural care for others. Listen, if I don't care for the church, the Bible says that if we love Christ, we'll love his church. If we don't love his church, then we're not loving Christ. Boy, it's a lot easier to say we love Christ than it is to actively love his church. Because actively loving his church requires action on our part. It requires to do more than say things. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can boil down our ministry to words. Are you with me? It's just things we say, not things we do. But how many know that we need to be actively involved in doing, helping, coming alongside of, and helping one another? Notice the focus of this burden. Uh, Here, uh, this natural care, but then he mentions Epaphroditus in verses 26 and 27. Epaphroditus was sick. In fact, the Bible says here that he was sick nigh unto death. I, I don't know why. Did you ever wonder why Paul had healed other people before why didn't he just heal Epaphroditus? I don't know if this is a period of time when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Apparently, there was a transitional time where these signs and miracles were going away, and I don't know if at this point that was one of those times. But Paul seems to turn him over to the Lord, doesn't he, for healing. He doesn't heal him. He, he seems to, think, to, to even say that I can't heal him. You think about the Apostle Paul saying something like that, but then he kind of mentions that the Lord was good to heal him, that God, through prayer, 
had raised him up through the prayers of the church, through the prayers of the people of God. What a reminder to us tonight that we should pray for the sick. Are you with me? Those that are sick need prayer. Sometimes I think if we're not careful, we get, I know we have our Wednesday night prayer and we have a list of people that are sick and I know we say that we believe that Jesus can heal them, but sometimes if we're not careful, we get bogged down in our prayer life and we, we kind of just mention people, but we're not really believing that God can do anything in that situation. How many of that our prayer requires faith? Requires faith. If it's just us saying people's names on a list and not having faith attached to it, believing that God is going to do something about what we're saying, then what kind of praying is that at all? If it's just a recitation, if you would. We're just saying things. Sometimes, uh, how many, you need your prayer life to be more than just saying things, reciting things. You know, rote, memory, just You know, if we're not careful, how many ever catch yourself, you keep praying the same things over and over again? You know, we can be awfully critical of people who read prayers from books, but then we can sound a lot like people that pray from books because we always say the same things. I know sometimes we can say similar things to one another. How many know that with friends, we don't feel the need to just recite things over and over again to each other? If we're not careful, even in church, it can sound a lot like that. Hi, how are you? How you doing? And that's as deep as it goes. You know, we don't ever get into, how are you doing? Are you struggling with, is there anything that I can pray for you for? Boy, may that be the way that we are as believers. You know, when folks come in here on Sunday, may the atmosphere that they sense here be one of care, concern, and love. But not just because we say it is, but because they sense it and they see it. It's because we're, hey, pulling someone aside and saying, hey, let me lift you up in prayer. Let me help you through whatever it is that you're going through. Hey, don't push everybody to the pastor. Are you with me? Don't push everybody to the pastor. Hasn't God gifted you spiritually? Hasn't God given us all spiritual gifts? You know, my spiritual gift may be preaching and teaching the word of God, but your spiritual gift may be mercy. It may be encouragement. It may be compassion. It may be prayer. Some people, I believe, have the spiritual gift of a prayer life, that God just gives them that gift. We, we, we used to call them in church prayer warriors, didn't we? People that just prayed and prayed and prayed. I remember when he used to do the nursing home ministry on Sunday afternoon when I was in Bible college, and I would wander in here in Lakewood to Atlantic Rehab, and there used to be a lady who couldn't come out to the service, but she was blind, and she couldn't get out of bed. And I remember I often, after the service, would wander into a room to visit with her, and to pray with her, and she would always make me sing to her. She always had a song that she wanted me to sing. Whatever song that she loved, what a day that will be. And we'd sing some songs together, and I'd share the word with her. But often when I walked into the room, I would stand there for several minutes before ever announcing that I was there, because she would be praying. She would be praying. I'm glad for prayer, people that pray for people. Boy, we need to be that kind of friend, don't we? We should have that kind of atmosphere. Paul seemed to uh, motion to or show these people that in their burden they were praying for. They were lifting up. They were caring and concerned for. The Bible says here that they had heard about Epaphroditus, that he had been sick. He's burdened because they're worried about him. The, the phrase here is, he uses full of heaviness. It comes from the same word used of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Would to God that again that we would have this sense of burden for others. How many need to have a greater burden for those that are lost? 
How about a greater burden for the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ? A greater care and concern. I think uh, our burdens are seen in our prayer life. How we'll take people to, how we'll labor in prayer. Prayer is a labor, isn't it? It's work. You ever get tired after praying? How many times have we fallen asleep in prayer? I remember waking up so many times and I'd be, how did I get here? I was on my knees and I was at the couch and I was there and boy, my knees hurt because <laughs> I had fallen asleep there and I'm sprawled out. And my wife would come in, wake me up. What are you doing? I was praying. I'm sorry. You know, I fell, fell asleep. I feel embarrassed. I'm like the disciples that he said, watch and pray and I'm conked out, you know, I'm just laying there sleeping. But I'd rather be that way than not bend my knees, bow my head and take people to the Lord. You know, sometimes we're weary in the flesh and we do that work and we get down on our knees and we pray and we talk to God and we ask God to intercede. Aren't you glad that he ever lives to make intercession for us tonight? He ever lives to make intercession for us. You know, when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit of God with groanings which cannot be uttered, the Bible says, he can on our behalf lead us in prayer. Sometimes I've gone to the throne and not known what to say. How about, how about you? I just didn't have words. I'd rather bend my knee and not have any words to say, let the Spirit lead, than not bend my knee at all. There's times where I feel like I don't have any words. There's times where I've confessed that to God. There's times I've gone to the altar and said, God, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't have anything to say. I don't even know what to say. You ever say that? My kids say that sometimes and ask, I don't know what to say. Sometimes that's how we are, isn't it? We just don't have words for our circumstances, for our situations. But how many are glad that God always has words for us? His words endure, don't they? The focus of this burden. Notice the fruit of this burden. Look at verse number 22. It tells us that there was a proof of Timothy's testimony and work. There's proof. There was something that showed his life, his ministry. There was something about his testimony that carried on through the churches that they knew. There was a proof of his burden. There was fruit that came from The Bible says here, because Epaphroditus was a people-centered person, he brought joy to the lives of others. Look at verse 28 and 29. Notice the words that Paul uses, rejoice, and he uses the word gladness. The Philippians knew what a treasure they had in Epaphroditus, and so did Paul. He was the kind of person who made you feel important, the kind of person that made you feel loved. He put you first and you knew it. He was an encourager, and as a result, he was a joy to know and be around. Anybody like being around someone that's negative? Can I say this? Then don't be that person. You know what it's like to be around someone that's negative? But sometimes we don't like being around negative people, but we're the negative people that other people don't like being around. We walk into a room, it's never the right temperature. We never have the right situation. We never have the right circumstances. How many know that there's always good that we can find in every circumstance? I like what Paul said, in whatsoever state I am therewith, I've learned, he said, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be contented. How many need contentment in your heart and life? Well, that's something we need to pray in, isn't it? There was a fruit of this burden that came from his life. And then lastly tonight, we not only see balance in the lives of these brothers and burden in their hearts, but I believe also we see bravery. Bravery. How many know that as a friend you need to be brave sometimes? How many know that you need people to be brave for you? I've had that at times, people on the other end, family and friends and a church family, and just called and said, hey, I don't even know 
really what to say, but I just need someone to be strong for me. I just need someone to be brave for me. And I thought I could call you. Uh, We need people to be brave for us. How many glad for brave friends who are willing to stand in there uh, when times are difficult and take the hit for you? People that are brave. They take the hit. They absorb, if you would, the affliction for us. And then also, on the other side, uh, times where they confront us and they're willing to stand in there when we've done something that's not right and tell us like it is. And say, hey, listen, this is not right and you need to change in this area of our lives. May everybody in the church have a friend like that friend. May we all be like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Notice there was bravery in their service. Verse 21 implies that Timothy was a man willing to lay aside his own well-being for others. The first phrase of verse 30 seems to indicate that the sickness Epaphroditus endured was the result of his labors for Jesus. Think about that. He was working so hard and not even thinking of his own self that it brought sickness into his own life. Ancient church tradition tells us that Epaphroditus was known for his work among the sick that were in Rome, and perhaps his work among the sick caused him to catch something that one of them had. And he was willing to labor among those believers, those fellow Christians who were going through persecution that had taken sick as a result of being out in the cold or being out in different places and in service, and he was willing to be like a doctor, a nurse, a caregiver for them. And because of that, he himself had fallen sick. It is said that he and others would try to help people that most others would not even dare go near. Who is that like? Jesus. Who would go near a leper but Jesus? Who would go near someone who could bring danger to their own lives but Jesus? God help us that we won't just look at people who are clean. That we won't just look at people who are pure. We won't just look at people who are, you know, healthy. Sometimes that's the only people we want to surround ourselves with. Are you with me? You know, there's other other believers that are spiritually sick or even physically sick that need us to go to them. How many others hospital visits to make? Is that only the pastor's job? Should we all care for one another? Should we all be concerned for one another? Often I tell people, don't wait, don't, don't make the bottleneck of the ministry me. I forget things like you forget things. I can't be around all the time. I can't, I'm not omnipresent. How many know that? If I'm helping someone else, I can't be helping another person. But you know what? God's put all of us here together. Why? Because he wants us all to care. Let's all take the lead in the care of others in the church. There's bravery here, bravery in his service. There's bravery here in his sacrifice. Notice what the Bible says about him, not regarding his life. It literally has the sense of that he gambled with his own life to throw aside, to throw it down, to voluntarily hazard his welfare, exposing himself to danger. You know, Epaphroditus, he was someone who would hazard his life for the gospel. Where did he learn that, by the way? Paul. Paul often had hazarded himself for the gospel. Paul uh, trained Epaphroditus, you know, as he saw Paul's example in ministry. Where was Paul? He was in prison. Paul, he said, if Brother Paul could hazard his life for the gospel, then I could hazard my life for the gospel. Are you with me that sometimes all the folks that are hazarding lives for the gospel are in the history books? Isn't that sad sometimes? I know some of them, we won't know their names. Are you with me? That's what the Bible says in in Hebrews chapter 11, whose names are not even mentioned. 
people that we won't even know. There's servants of God right now suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, and none of us know their names. Aren't you glad for them? Thankful for them? Boy, may we be brave also in our sacrifice for the saints. I think about pioneer missionary Jim Elliott who gave his life for Christ trying to reach the Aka Indians of South America. Some would look and say, what a waste. But he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that awesome? We can't keep our lives, so why are we trying to? It's appointed unto man once to die. You say you should be frivolous with your life? No, it's not frivolous to hazard your life for the gospel. It's not frivolous to hazard your health for the gospel. I don't mean just going out there and trying to hurt yourself, but where's the idea that we can say, I'll be uncomfortable to reach people for Christ. I'm willing to go to a place that may be difficult to reach people for Christ. Isn't it sad that it's somewhat unheard of now? That people say, ah, you know, I, 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 I can't be inconvenienced. Everything about church needs to be convenient for so many people today. If it's not convenient for me, if it doesn't follow my regimen, if it doesn't line up with my schedule, if it, if it in any way inhibits me to live the life I want to live in comfort, that I'm not, you can't count on me. But how do I know that we've got to sacrifice in order to serve? It means sacrificing something. It means saying no to other things in our lives so that we can serve the Lord. In later years, groups of Christians known as the parabolona, the gamblers, it comes from the same word translated not regarding his own life, were known for their work among the diseased and the dead. They would help those ravaged by the plague. They would bury the dead bodies of those taken by illnesses. Others would not do this, but these believers were inspired by the selfless sacrifice of Epaphroditus, and they took his name willing to place their lives on the line for Jesus Christ. Interesting that from his life, whole groups of people in church history came out of that and said, we're willing to do what Epaphroditus did, to hazard our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the gamblers in our day. You know, where are the saints of God who allow nothing, be it comfort, convenience, or cost, to stand from them, between them and doing the will of God? Say, I'm willing to hazard my life for Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like we're more setting ourselves up for our careers or pushing our children towards other things instead of whatever God wants them to do. The best thing you can do, young person that has your life so, so, much, so much of your life ahead of you, is say, whatever Jesus wants, I'll do. Whatever Jesus wants, I'll do. Wherever he wants to send me, I'll go. Like Samuel, may we say, here am I, Lord, send me. Boy, what a blessing it is to give our lives for the gospel. For what? Boy, we could take our lives for ourselves, wasted on frivolous things, and not have anything to show at the judgment seat of Christ. But I don't know about you, I think I'm going to be standing so, so far back at the judgment seat for all those folks that have given their lives for Jesus Christ. Friends, uh, uh, when you throw down your life for Jesus, you're not gambling your life away in a game of chance because our God is a sovereign God. He takes our gambling, if you would, and he makes it profitable. In other words, that's what Jim Elliott was saying. This is not a gamble in the sense of what you think it is, but this is a sure thing. You ever hear a gambler say, I got a sure thing? 
This is a sure thing. This is a sure win. Boy, everybody, every gambler thinks they have that. But can I say this? It is a sure thing when you gamble your life for Jesus that you always win. When you give your life for Jesus, you always win. Think about that word, Epaphroditus, that gambler for Jesus. When you risk it all for Jesus, you can be certain that you'll win every time. Are you a brave Christian tonight? Are you a brave Christian? You can be. Verse 22 talks about the proof of Timothy's character and testimony. Verse 29 tells the Philippian believers to hold Epaphroditus, notice, in reputation. And that phrase means to prize, to consider precious. Because Epaphroditus and Timothy were prized friends. Friends like them are gemstones. They're of rare and great value. May God make us friends like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Boy, we need to be friends like that. Friends to others that way. Not about you, but maybe tonight as we close, maybe we could just take stock of our life and say, what kind of spiritual friend am I truly to others? Am I looking for more social connections? Am I just looking for popularity? Am I looking for people to do good for me if I do good for them? Jesus talked about those kind of friends. Didn't he say, what thank have you if you only love those that love you, if you're kind to those that are kind to you? If it costs you nothing for friendship, what kind of friendship is it? Sometimes we feel bad in giving so much in friendship. But you know, when we give of ourselves, we can never give too much for God. I mean, at the end, how can we give too much to the one who gave us everything? The one that gave his life, and then he asked for our living sacrifices, doesn't he? Aren't you glad that he doesn't tell us to lay ourselves down on the cross? I hope that we'd be willing to if his will called for that, like Paul saying, whether it be by my life or by my death. But maybe we could just say, hey, listen, maybe God won't call me into martyrdom to give my life for the gospel in a sense of perishing. But what about, hasn't he called us all to give our lives to the gospel? To give our lives for the cause of Jesus, for the work of the church, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God wants to use our gifts, doesn't he, in the church to glorify him. You say, well, what gift does God want me to use? Can I say it's got to be more than your schedule? It's got to be more than your schedule. It's got to be more than your stuff. It's got to be more than your service. It needs to be your heart. You with me? Sometimes we're, we're just, well, you know, give my time, give my money, give my service. What about your heart? Shouldn't we start with our hearts? then everything else belongs to him from there, isn't it? It's not so hard to give when I love. It's not so hard to serve when I love. It's not so hard to show up when I love. But it's all work when my heart's not in it. Maybe tonight, what we can do tonight, the best thing we can do is just surrender our hearts to him. Ask God to take our hearts again. Remember when you were passionate about some things for the Lord? If you lost your passion tonight, why don't you go back to your first love? You say, God, I want you to have my heart again. Not just my labor, not just my money, not just my time, but my heart, all of me. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.